0: here this morning, don't worry, so are we. Um, this is our fifth Sunday here at the Raven Hoover. And I can't go on that side of the stage. Um, and we've, we're really enjoying our time here. Uh, so we're glad you found us. If this is your first time, I'm not entirely sure how you got here. Uh, maybe a friend brought you. Maybe you saw one of our signs or just caught the hype. Maybe you came to see a movie and you realized we have donuts and they don't. Um, either way, we're glad you're here. Um, we're thrilled that you could join us this morning. Uh, right now, we're in a message series called Rockstar. You can't figure it out from 100 foot wide, 60 foot tall. Um, but so, we're at this weird church in a theater talking about rock stars. So, why on earth are we doing this? A uh, rock star is this person with a massive personality who captivates huge numbers of people through one thing or another. Usually, when we use this term, we're talking about music, but we could say someone is a rock star because of something else they've done. Maybe they're a movie star. Maybe they're a political figure. And we refer to them, that person is a political rock star. Either way, a rock star is this person who captivates people, who draws huge numbers to see them do whatever it is that they do. These people that are talented and gifted and have channeled and focused this energy into one thing and became the best at it. And we love rock stars. We pay big money to go to the BJCC to see these people, we want to see them, we want to hear them, people want to touch them. A lot of folks want to be rock stars
1: because they have the fame
0: and the fortune and the influence and the women and everything they could want. You know, money is no object. There's nothing they desire that they can't have. And as David liked to say, likes to say, a lot of times they flame out. They're kind of this firecracker personality where it's like, bang, here I am, and then it's gone. And it's, it's been... Extinguished. It's worth nothing anymore. They crash and they burn. The, um, the Bible has similar personalities to this. We see rock stars in the Bible, these huge personalities who dominate the stories of our faith that fill the pages of this book. And they had fame, and some of them had fortune, they have influence. Some of them are even have faith. And unfortunately, a lot of them, just like our rock stars, overindulge or go too far, but either way, they crash and they burn.
2: Um, so let's get into it. People called me Saul once, a Hebrew of Hebrews, faultless in the eyes of the law. But I watched the rebellion grow like a fire and spread. Claims of a Messiah and the Resurrection the Son of God, they declared. But that I looked at them. My will was bent on destruction. But on the road to ruin, my world was torn apart. A voice called my name. The scales fell from my eyes. The fire that I sought to extinguish was now consuming and refining me. People called me Saul But that was another life. For I am a new creation. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And neither death nor life, not the powers of hell, will separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus.
0: That's right, folks. We're talking about Paul. You may know him. As St. Paul, you may know him as the Apostle Paul. Um, I recently heard someone calling him the Great Preacher Paul, and I thought that one was really weird. Um, But regardless of what you call him, we have to start by calling him one thing, and he starts as Saul. Now, Saul is a young man from Tarshish. He's a Jewish man with religious aspirations. He wants to be... He sort of wants to be a rock star. He wants to grow up and be a rabbi. These charismatic leaders and teachers... that that instruct on how to live inside of the Jewish faith. And so Saul would have studied the uh, scriptures from a very young age, and probably, as we can tell, he's a pretty bright dude, probably gets singled out really early as being in the top like 10% of kids in his area as far as receiving and understanding the scripture. And so as he would be moved up and continue to learn, Probably by the time he was about where we would consider middle schoolers, he would have had the entire Old Testament memorized. And memorized in such a way that he could rattle the whole thing off to so you could be like, hey, kid, um, Second Judges 26.5, and boom, he'd have it. And then he could keep going and going and going all the way to Malachi. This kid's got this stuff. And so he gets to move up and study under a rabbi. He gets to become a disciple of basically a rabbi of his choice, he'd go and ask them, can I study under you? And they would test him. And if he passes their test, whatever that may be, he'll get to be one of their disciples. And so the man that Paul cho- Saul chooses to study under is a very important rabbi. We still read his stuff. We still care about what this man said. And so Saul studies under him for years, and he would have learned uh, the Torah. He would have had the law nailed down Unbelievably well. He would continue to learn everything about this book and books we don't have. He would know everything about Jewish culture, but also because of who he was studying under, he would have learned um, Mediterranean philosophy, Jewish Hebraic philosophy, Asian thought. He would study language. He would have studied culture. This is a well-rounded, like serious university degree kind of guy. And so once he kind of gets all of that taken care of, and, and he thinks he's ready, he decides he wants to move to the next level. He wants to go to Jerusalem. Because this this is where all the exciting stuff happens in the realm of first century Jewish life. If you want to be at the epicenter of what's happening in the Jewish world, you go to Jerusalem. And so Saul heads to Jerusalem because he wants to be where the action's at. And he decides he wants to join this group that um, we know as the Pharisees. It seems that Paul is stud- Saul is studying to be a Pharisee when we encounter him. And if, if you don't quite remember who these people are, this is one of the sects of Judaism that wants Jesus taken out of the picture in the Gospels. You see them constantly challenging him and plotting against him. They want to see him killed. They want him gone because he's a threat to their agenda. And what they want is they want everyone to be perfect. We're talking legalism par excellence. These guys have, have this unbelievably high standard of how the Jew is supposed to live. If you are a Pharisee, so you want everyone in Israel to follow your rules, you believe with all of your being, with all your mind and your heart, that if you can get everyone in Israel to follow the law, not to sin at all for one day, just 24 hours, the Romans will be kicked out, the kingdom of God will be ushered in, and an heir to David's throne will take over Israel again, and everything will be set right. So they spend their time going around around Telling people what to do. And Saul looks at this and he says, That's very cool. I want to do that. You know, when you see someone and you're like, That was awesome. I want to be like that guy. This is what Saul's doing to the Pharisees. He's also present at the first um, execution of a Christian. He sees the man that we know today as St. Stephen or Stephen, whatever you want to think of him as. He sees him stoned by the religious leaders and says, That's the way to do it. That's very cool right there. I want to do that. So Saul gathers a posse and starts hunting the Christians. Because, like the video said, they're making radical claims. The Son of God, the resurrection has started, and Paul doesn't know about it? Yeah, right. If this stuff was going on, the religious leaders would know, right? And so Paul is hunting these people down. He's arresting them, taking them into these kangaroo courts. I mean, it's easy to find out if a Christian is a Christian. say, hey, you a Christian? They say, Yes. And so the Christians are executed. Who knows how many Christians were killed because of Paul, uh, Saul? And so one day, Saul decides his area of Jerusalem isn't enough because he hears that it's spreading, that this rebellion is like an infectious disease and is moved into the areas around Jerusalem. And so he asks the high priest to give him permission to go to the synagogues in Damascus and check the Christians because he heard there's some over there. And if he finds them, he'll arrest them, bring them to Jerusalem, and they can try them and have them executed and handle this Christian problem. And the high priest says, that sounds pretty good. And he grants him the permission and sends a letter ahead to the Damascus synagogue, saying, hey, i am sending my boy Saul. Let him do whatever he wants. He knows what he's doing. He's good at this stuff. He's taking care of lots of Christians. He'll get this problem taken care of. for him. And so, with the high priest's permission, Saul leaves for Damascus. And this is in uh, Acts chapter nine as he's traveling, um, a light out of heaven <laughs> strikes him like the heavens open, and light from heaven hits him with such force that it knocks him to the ground. And a voice from heaven booms, "Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me?" I mean, Saul's terrified at this point. His friends are like hiding under rocks and bushes why have to deal with this and, and so Saul, from the ground, looking into this light from heaven, yeah, it says, Lord, who are you? Does he doesn't know what's going on. And the voice responds, I am Jesus. Mm. You are persecuted. Now get up, and I'll give you something to do. Get up and go into the city, the Mass is where it's heading, and you will be told what you are to do. Paul. Saul is given a mission here. And I mean, he's a Christian at this point. At the moment that he says, I am Jesus, you can pretty much assume that Saul is a Christian because when Jesus opens the clouds and yells at you, you probably believe. Um, And so Saul is changed radically. He's gone from being a hunter of Christians to being a Christian with a mission called by Jesus from heaven. This is serious credentials here. And to show how much he's changed, name is changed as well. He goes from Saul to being Paul. And this Paul becomes a rock star for for the Christian faith. Paul is responsible for writing approximately a third of the New Testament. And most of the rest of the book of Acts, that is just chapter 9, the rest of it is mostly about him. This guy occupies a huge amount of space in, in the Bible, in our canon. And what Paul spends the rest of his life doing, 32 years, is he travels all over the empire. In a world where people rarely travel more than 50 miles from their home in the entirety of their life, Paul travels about 18,000 miles. This guy's a globetrotter. He will preach Christ in Europe, in the Middle East, and in Asia. This guy gets around. And it's, it's not... An easy trip for him. He's gonna be imprisoned, flogged, beaten, starved, bit by snakes, shipwrecked like twice? At one point, the people in the city actually throw him off a cliff, and when they realize that he's not dead, they push boulders off to try to crush him. Like it's it's not a good time for Paul. These thirty-two years are rough, and they eventually end with him dying in Rome for the for the sake of this gospel, of this message. That Jesus is in charge of all this. That Jesus is the God of the universe. And that he's stronger than the empire. That force and violence will not change the world, but it will be love and grace. The things that only Jesus can offer. And so what Paul basically does for the rest of his life is he travels from city to city, 18,000 miles total, and he finds the synagogues and the cities, and he will preach Jesus, someone will believe him, and they'll go and they'll start a church. Paul becomes a church planter. That's how things like this get started. I don't think he had a theater, but he probably found some of these places to meet. Um, And so Paul teaches, and he preaches, and he equips people there to do the same. And then he moves on and starts another church. But he constantly writes letters back to the churches that he's planted to keep them informed, to keep them straight. He hears... About how they're doing, he says, "Hey, you need to work on this and this, but don't worry. There's also this. There is all this grace that covers y'all, and y'all can live on that for a long, long time." And um, when we look at these letters, which which we can do, because
2: we've got them still.
0: This is how important this guy is. Two, uh, over two thousand years later, we're still reading the letters he wrote. These letters, when they came into a community. People gathered to read them. They copied them and sent them all over the city. Everyone wants to know what Paul said. It's like the new um, uh, new Katy Perry album has come out and everyone's burning copies because you need your friends to
1: hear this. This stuff's good.
0: And so, everyone wants to hear these letters from Paul and they all kind of sound similar. There's a, there's a pattern to this. So the, the first letter that we have going straight through the New Testament is Romans and in Romans Paul Starts off, he says, From Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be apostle, set apart for the gospel to Rome, to the church of Rome, and all who are loved by God and who are called saints. Grace and peace to you from God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. First um, Corinthians, from Paul, called to be apostle of Jesus Christ, to the brothers at the church in Corinth. Grace and peace to you from God the Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ, Second Corinthians, books to the same people. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ in the, in the will of God, to so the church of God in Corinth, grace and peace to you. Do we, do we have a pattern yet? Galatians, grace and peace to you. Ephesians, grace and peace be to you. Philippians, grace and peace. And it keeps going like this. We can look at all of the books he's written. All the way into um, the the uh, pastoral letters, where he's writing to other pastors like uh, Titus and Timothy, and he's still using these same words: "Grace and peace be to you." And these are these are really intriguing words to put here because we don't really have this much going on in English when we write a letter. There's very little formality that needs to go into it. Um, "Dear so and so." Or, to whom it may concern, body of your letter, sincerely, Jeremy. And this is how we do our thing. That's all there is involved in here. If you are writing a Greek letter that's intended to be formal in any sense, you would say who it's from first. You would say from Jeremy. Give the credentials. Um, hairy dude from Celebration Church. To whoever I've the letter to. And then, greetings! And then the body of the letter. This is how you always do it, or you're weird. And so Paul sends these letters, and he gives his name, he gives his credentials, he says who it's to, him, he says why he's sending it, and then he says grace and peace. And this is really neat, because you can see how smart Paul is. The word that he should be using is greeting. And the Greek word for this is corin. but he's using the Greek word for grace. And he's specifically chosen a specific Greek word, because there's several he could use here. And he uses the word kareph. It's only one layer different from Corinth. Corinth, Charis. And so you'd be reading this aloud, and y'all would be listening to me reading it if you were in first century Corinth and you're in the church. A letter would come in, I would read it, and you would hear, Koris. And you'd go, wait a minute. That's supposed to be Corinth." And so that even the start of this, there's something cryptic and strange and powerful happening here. The word that Paul greets these people with, Koris, it would be best translated as joy, acceptance, gratification, affirmation. One of the scholars I read, and I've got this big book that explains Greek words to me because I don't, I don't know this. Um, says that the word charis, as used by Paul in all of his letters, is best defined in the absolutely free expression of God's love and generosity for his own sake. So Paul opens his letters, he encounters his friends, through this writing. And the first thing he says to them is joy, acceptance, gratification, favor, affirmation, and the fullest free expression of God's love and generosity be to you and peace. The second word in this uh, phrase, grace and peace, the word peace, the word he's using here, once again very specifically, is arene. And this is not just the absence of chaos or the absence of war or violence. The word here means harmony, Love, mercy, everything good. The best possible way to view a situation. All of this is implied from the word peace, reign. And what's really cool, you start to look at this stuff and you're like, whoa, Paul knows what's going on. Both of these words are, and this doesn't make much sense in English because we don't do stuff like this, but it's in the present indefinite tense, which means for Paul, these things that he's talking about, grace, and peace are imminent realities. This is not something for later. This is not something about heaven. This is not something that's going to come in the future. This is now. Paul claims that these realities, grace and peace, harmony, love, mercy, affirmation, the overflowing abundance of God's generosity, these things are imminent truths. These realities exist now and will continue to exist because they are rooted the person of Jesus Christ, as Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And Paul allows this to flow freely through him into the people he comes in contact with. The way Paul greets and views the world is through a lens of grace and peace. The first way he makes contact with people is by saying grace and peace realities are true, and they're now, and they're they're for you. This is how he interacts with people, and we, we catch Paul saying things like, "I love all of you." And we say, "How the heck could you love all of them?" And you ever been to a church? There are some people there that is hard to love. Maybe not this church. Other churches. Um, <laughs> I have to say that, or something will get mad. Um, but Paul can say this because he views them as what what they can be, what they will be. In Christ, this grace and this peace that is in Christ is now in the believer. And Paul can harness this and and say that I can love you because grace and peace are here and they are now and they are forever. Affirmation and love and mercy and beauty, the overflowing abundance of God's grace and generosity. These things are here and this is how I will choose to interact with you. This is the kind of person people are attracted to. This is how Paul gets to be a rock star. People have to be attracted to something like this. This is Christ embodied in individual as all of us are called to be. So, what if we adopted this? What if we, like Paul, and Paul says, be like me as I do like Christ. What if, what if we adopted Paul's view of Of the world? What if we took Jesus seriously and believed that grace and peace that he unleashed at the resurrection is true and that it is imminent and it can be present and active in our lives? What if this is the way that we saw the world? What if this is the way we saw ourselves? How would our lives change? How would we change if we interacted with ourselves, if all of this inner dialogue we go through? is based around grace and peace if we believed that this existed for us and for our world how would this change these negative monologues we do over ourselves so oh, I'm not good enough I'm not blank enough to blank I will never have this well it's always my fault of course this went wrong how, how would that change the way that, that we destructively self-medicate with, with the, this self- Clothing with, with medication, with may, maybe you use alcohol. Maybe you use a razor. How would this change the way we treat ourselves if we believe the grace and peace, the affirmation and generosity and mercy and harmony, and the overwhelming love of God was freely active and available in our lives today? How would it change our schools if we believe? If every person we encountered, whether we liked them or didn't, whether they were popular or unpopular, whether they smelled or not, uh, these kids sometimes have showered but If we encountered them with grace and peace, if, if we came to them, whether they love us or hate us, maybe this is an enemy, how would it diffuse that relationship if our stance became one of grace and peace? How would it change our workplace? there's that person that we, we want to lock in, in the, uh, the maintenance closet and leave there I don't know I haven't seen him today I, I guess he's sick um, how would it change the way we interact with them how would it change the way we work with our boss I mean he's writing me all the time I don't know what I'm supposed to do regardless of what I produce it's not good enough we hate this person what, what if what if there's grace and peace what if this is true how would it change our family if if that family member that, that we can't stand, that we hope doesn't come to Christmas this year, what, what if grace and peace was the way we encountered them? What, maybe it's a spouse. Maybe the, the marriage isn't going the way it was planned. Maybe this isn't how it's supposed to be. And you know you know as soon as you leave here, it's going to start again. I mean, you're happy here. You're at church. You can put on the spouse. But you know you are going to get in the car and something's going to happen. And immediately it's... It's going to start small and It's it fast and aggressive. And it's going to grow into something big and negative. And you know that's how your night ends. That's how it always ends. Maybe, maybe if, if instead of who can yell the last, maybe it was the first to declare grace and peace to win this arc. How would that change our family? How would that change the way we run things at home? How would that change our kids? How would it change the world? If we believe that Jesus knew what he was talking about and was telling the truth when he said that in Christ, in himself for for the believer there is no condemnation that grace and peace are true and real and that these things love and harmony and grace and mercy and the best possible situation is available in this that we don't have to wait till heaven to experience true life what if Jesus was telling the truth in John 10, when he said that, I have come, that you can have life that is full, that is good. What if we believed him? How would the world look different if we engaged every individual we met, every situation we encountered, every option, every, everything? How would it change if we believed that grace and peace were imminent and powerful realities? How would it change us? How would it change them? Paul this is the centerpiece of his ministry and it led him to such a full abundant life you are still talking about in this is what Jesus Christ wants to share with you he says that he wants you to be a part of this you have been welcomed this is what he has for you it's grace and it's peace it's rest and it's acceptance and affirmation and, and the ability to be grateful, and at peace. This is what Christ offered to Paul. This is what the light from the sky knocked him to the ground and changed the entirety of his life. This is the same voice that speaks to us today. Jesus is offering this grace and this peace. He offers to Paul and he offers it to us. All we have to do is affirm that these are real. We just have to, to agree. Yeah, that's a better way to give. Our Father, we thank you that, that you are the God who, who knocks us off our feet when we're going in the wrong direction. We thank you that, that you are the kind of God who loves us enough to, to call us to yourself while we were still far away. The, the Bible says while we were still enemies of God, he came to earth and died to give us life to make things new again. Let us come into a reality that is bigger than the facade that we see here. This will never last. This world is temporal. It's short. Life is short. Jesus says, there is life and we thank you for that, God. Life that is full. Life that is abundant. Life that goes on forever. And that realities like truth and beauty and grace and peace that these belong to you and that you want to share them with our world that you want to share them with us that you have called us into this kind of relationship to, that you have loved us this much to come and get us help us today and the rest of this week to view the world like Paul does to see the world through the lens of grace and peace we thank you for your son Jesus Christ so that you came and that you lived in perfect sinless life, giving up everything that was Godhood in heaven to, to be man, to live a dirty life, a hard life that, that ends painfully through, through torture and, and suffering and being torn away from, from this place and from his family and his friends and his ministry on a cross. The most painful death the Romans can come up with. You know they're good at Lord. But then that could hold him. That, that this life that Jesus talks about is so full and so abundant and so powerful that it would not end. And the grave could not hold him. After three days the resurrection began and it hasn't stopped. That you welcome us to today choose resurrection, to choose life over death, to say I want that. I want this grace and peace in my life. I want Jesus Love you. This next Sunday, we're going to be celebrating uh, the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist, the Mass, whatever you call it, we're going to be doing this beautiful ancient thing here where we will remember what Christ did for us and everything that's gone into that and everything that we can become because of it. That'll be this next Sunday, the 26th, is that correct? Yeah, the 26th, this place. We're going to be the first people to ever have communion in this theater. I think that's pretty dang cool. Yeah. So uh, real quick, let me send us out of here And then y'all can have a great rest of your Sunday The Lord bless you and keep you The Lord make his face to shine upon you And grant your peace Now go out into this world with this peace Be of good courage Hold fast to that which is right, true, and beautiful Offer to no man evil for evil Strengthen the faint-hearted and uphold the weak God is here, God is present, God is alive, God is moving, He is merciful and good. Into the mystery as you abandon yourselves to God. Grace and peace, church, have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.